<laughs> Welcome to episode 21 of the BCLE, the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. I am so excited and honored that you have decided to join us today. We've got a great, great guest coming to you from Southern California. He's the head men's basketball coach at Cal Baptist University, Rick Croy. Cal Baptist is transitioning from Division II to Division I, and Coach Croy has a reputation of building programs, building amazing leaders, and a top-notch culture. You are going to want to reach out to him. You are going to want to listen to everything he is saying today, and you're going to maybe become a big fan of the Cal Baptist Lancers after episode 21. Guys, thanks so much for joining us on the BCLE, the Be Contagious Leadership Experience, and excited to be on the campus of Cal Baptist University and want to stop by and meet up with the head coach, Rick Croy of the men's basketball team. How you doing, coach? Doing great. Appreciate you having me on. I tell you what, man, this is a beautiful facility. Uh, it's You have all the major perks of a Division One program. Yeah, we have had tremendous support since we arrived here in 2013. And every year, things have gotten a little bit better. Now, for all the people who, who don't know, they haven't Googled you yet, but right now, your Google searches are going through the roof because you're on the podcast. Talk about your experience, kind of you know, where you came from, what happened, how'd you end up here? Well, I think it all started um, at Northgate High School for me. I was uh, you know, very, very blessed to go to the local public high school, mm -hmm. and incredibly enough, in my opinion, one of the greatest coaches in the country showed up, Frank Alaco Sr., who's now an associate athletic director at USF. Uh, but I think he's the reason I'm coaching today. Um, he was just incredibly instrumental in my life, um, not only in my high school basketball journey, but I think shaping uh, what I wanted to be about as a leader and as a man. And when I finished playing collegially, collegiately at San Francisco State University, um, that's what I wanted to get into, coaching, and, and was really fortunate uh, to get an opportunity as a grad assistant at UC Riverside for the legendary John Macy. He was one of the winningest coaches uh, in the history of California. Uh, so I got my start with him, then uh, moved on to Concordia University with Ken Ammon, who's one of the winningest coaches in the country. Um, spent a year with him. He helped shape my career as well. Then went back to UC Riverside as the head assistant. And then got my first head coaching job at Citrus College mm -hmm. at age 27. And that was a, an incredible experience where we kind of learned through some failure uh, and just got to get after it every day and, and, and really learn by doing. And then I figured um, it was time to go learn again from somebody else and had a tremendous experience under Randy Bennett at St. Mary's College. Got to work with some unbelievable players. And, and learned so much from my experience there. And then we were really fortunate, our entire staff, the staff that we were with at Citrus, we kind of all came back together here in 2013 to coach at California Baptist University. So I've coached at all levels. Right. Um, high school, NEI, Division II, uh, junior college, and, and now getting a head coaching opportunity at the Division One level here at CBU. And this has been a really, really great place to coach. Right. Now you, and you worked with some great people. You know, so you've seen a lot of different things. I remember when he got the job at Citrus. I, I know how that office looked. It's like a closet. You know, w when you got to Citrus, and for a lot of people who don't know, Citrus College is a junior college, uh, you know, about 45 minutes outside of Los Angeles. What was your first impression on that? When you when you come from the Division One level, you go to JUCO level, you're like, 
wow, oh crap, or hey, we could we could make something really good with this? Uh, well, to put it into context, and our staff, we talk about this all the time. It, um, we took the job. It was it paid fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> no benefits. Fifteen. One five. One five. Yeah, make sure. All right. Fifteen thousand. Um, the average age on our staff was probably about twenty-one, <laughs> and we always say we had to win. We had to make it work. We had to figure it out. Um, so we really weren't comparing it to anything else. We just knew we had a head coaching opportunity, and we had to try and learn on the fly. And it was really, I think, you know, in our sport in basketball, it doesn't really work like this. But if you could really, I think the perfect journey would be that, would be mm -hmm. to learn as a head coach, um, get your bearings, learn from your mistakes. Really, there weren't a lot of people watching. Uh, we knew we were making our fair share of mistakes, and we had an opportunity to correct those and get better every year. And I think it really helped shape our leadership. And we got to work with, you know, you get so much time with your players and you get to grow as a mentor and figure out how you want to do things as a staff. So it was really a perfect journey for us. Now, what, what are some of the, the, the most important lessons you've learned there? Obviously, at a junior college, you have, I don't want to say misfits, but it's like the island of misfit toys in many ways, right? You have guys who aren't qualifiers. You got guys who are trying to get more exposure. You have guys coming from everywhere. Um, what are some things that you really were shocked that you had to learn in terms of teaching those young men on how to be leaders and great teammates? Yeah, I think the first thing that we learned is, as, <clears throat> as time went on was no matter where you're at, you're at you have to create a culture that the guys are extremely proud to be a part of. Mm. And we thought even at the junior college level, California Community College basketball with no scholarships, what if we could make Citrus a place that guys actually wanted to go to? Right. And and how do you go about doing that? I think it starts with your current players having great experiences. Those guys are your best recruiters. And we were able to start to do that. And when we did that, then we started to realize that Citrus actually was in a really good location because you could access players from the Inland Empire, and mm -hmm. there's plenty of talent out here, um, that we had some guys from L.A., and, and they went and recruited their friends. And all of a sudden, uh, you started to kind of be – uh, what we wanted to be was the mecca of junior college basketball. So the guys having great experiences, a culture where players were improving, right. and then obviously uh, you needed to finalize that with great matriculation. And our guys were going on and getting great scholarships, and that's really uh, what we made kind of the pin pinnacle of success. The winning was important, but we wanted these guys to get scholarships that they were incredibly excited about. I mean, I think the the things that you did at Citrus, you know, where it was and where it is, and and the 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 glasses you looked at it, saying it's a great area, want to be the mecca. I mean, those are things as coaches are moving on. Like you, they always say, right? You you make the best job where you are right then and there. And making from fifteen thousand, you know, building up to being a national powerhouse has been a huge thing. And then of course you went to St. Mary's, but let's fast forward to Cal Baptist. You came here. Um, and and now you you were I think NAIA first. When we got here, we were just becoming Division Two eligible. Okay. So my our first year here, we were able to play uh, in the Division Two tournament. Okay. So Division Two, and now Division One first year, right? Correct. Yep. All the way through. Okay. So I really want to dive into this because it's 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 one hell of a journey. But but the fact is also is when you lead, is it different? Is it the same? Are there adjustments? 
Like when you look at how I'm going to lead this team now, is it the same as when you first got here? I think in so many ways you want it to be the same. Mm -hmm. I think what's different is you've got to look a little bit further down the line. At Division Two, when you lose a good leader to graduation, if you're in a place with great resources and a thriving culture, you always have the potential and the ability to go get a transfer mm -hmm. and, and maybe replace some of that leadership and some of that ability right away. And I think with, with what we're doing right now, we want all options on the table, mm -hmm. but we've got to look at where do we want to be at two years from now? How do we want to shape our roster? Uh, what do we want our program to look like and the leadership within our program four or five years from now? Uh, so we've got to look look a little bit further down the line. And we were doing some of those things at Citrus. We really got into the red shirting and the gray shirting of players. Mm -hmm. And we were very focused on the character of our roster. And, and, in fact, we were going a little bit outside the box in respect to trying to recruit a lot of qualifiers um, and getting them to understand if they, if they came on board with us, we thought we could help them grow as players right. and they could max out. We talk a lot about, you know, maxing out the journey. Uh, and, and being part of a program that's going to help you max out individually as a man, as a player. Uh, so I'd say most of the things and the concepts and the covenants that, that we believe in are the same. It's just looking a little bit further down the line. Mm. So you're, you're looking down. You want to see and you have the vision of where they're going to be and how they look like when they get here. Yeah, and, and we know we have to, you know, we've had we've been fortunate to to recruit some really good young players that have evolved and grown. Uh and and maybe when we got them, they weren't uh, other people weren't looking at them, watching them play as freshmen thinking they could be a conference player of the year, mm -hmm. but they kept getting better. Uh and they combined the player development here with their great work ethics that they grew up with and that were shaped in the homes that they came from and they became that. And, and we know we've got to get some really good young players. Now, we'll go take a JC transfer, a four-year transfer, a grad transfer. And that's why I say all options on the table if a guy's a great fit for mm -hmm. CBU. The fit is the important part. Now, when you talk about leadership, like how do you develop leaders, right? Because leadership is such a, a key word. People love saying it. But the reality is a lot of our young people always come in. They're not prepared to be leaders. So us as coaches, we always say, hey, you just got to be a leader. And the kid looks at it like, I have no idea what that means. Or they start to be a nag or they're, they're yelling at everybody. How do you develop leaders here since you've had a long success with it? Yeah, I think the first thing is you have to define it. Mm -hmm. And I think our definition of le leadership has continued to simplify uh, over the years. And our definition of leadership in our program is simply to make someone else better. Mm -hmm. And I think when you peel it back and you simplify it, guys start to gain confidence that they can execute on it. Mm. instead of a leader or a captain or right. one or two guys on your team feeling like they have to run a perfect race, they can't make mistakes, they've got to be able to lead every guy. Uh, we want all players, all of our student-athletes to lead, mm. to make each other better each day. And I think uh, when you break it down like that, guys start to get reps and get confidence that they can be leaders, and you'll see a guy evolve from year to year and take on more leadership, uh, a bigger leadership role. Right. Now, when you look at, at a team, when, when you're encouraging leadership, right, and usually a lot of teams are very similar, saying, you know, you have your, your five, maybe you have eight people that you go ahead and sub, and so that, that's your rotation. 
So usually 9 through 11 or 9 through 15, there's one player who's always waving the towel. He's pumped up. He's, he's active to be a leader. But what about those three or four players who aren't getting a lot of playing time? They want to be a leader. They, they follow what you guys are saying. How do you encourage them to speak up and be a voice when others aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing? Well, I think it comes back to the max out journey mm-hmm. and, and that we're all part of this because we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And that leadership, we try and teach in our program, that leadership ultimately is going to culminate in your role as a father, as a husband. Those are leadership roles. And what a great opportunity in our program to develop. And the best way to develop is to be unselfish. Because those those roles, those ultimate roles, husband, father, those are unselfish roles. Yes, they are. As you know. Yeah. And so we talk about that. And then we also try and create perspective points, examples, guys that have been in our program that maybe were 9 through 13, kept chipping away, stonecutter mentality, mm. kept pouring in, kept making others better, and their role evolved. And I think there's guys in our program that can look to that and look to the history of the program and some of these guys that were in those positions, and those positions and roles evolved, and, and they found great success uh, not only collectively, but also individually as players. And I think that gives them confidence that that, that can be done. Mm. Talk about, uh, what do you call the stone cutter? What is it called? Stone cutter. Yeah. What What is that? I really like that term. I have to steal it. You know, the stone cutter is taken from the poem uh, mm-hmm. by Jacob Reese that the San Antonio Spurs use a lot that, you know, you're chipping away at a stone and eventually on the on the 150th strike that mm. the stone breaks uh, but obviously it wasn't the, the 150th strike. It was all right. those that had come before it. <laughs> right. Um, so we talk about, you know, giving a great effort every day. And we try and, and create clarity in our culture with what we're trying to be about. And that's to be positive and demanding. Mm. As a coaching staff, we want to be positive and demanding, not one without the other. We want both present. We want our guys to be positive with each other, demanding of each other. And we try and represent that every day in what we're doing, whether it's a a morning lift. We believe in getting up early and and getting after it. Uh, We think there's a lot of good leadership lessons to be learned from waking up early. (laughs) There Uh, is. So we want to be that with our lifts. We want to be that uh, on the practice floor. Uh, And then I think the other thing on building leadership is, and we talk a lot about this, is creating speaking opportunities for your guys. So we'll try and do that through a a couple of different avenues, one being camp in the summer. Mm. Uh, We've got thriving camps uh, day camps for our youth in the community. And we, we want our guys to get reps with their leadership. And then, you know, we really believe that when you're forced to speak, you're, you go from being a critic. <laughs> I think it's always easy when you're, when you're watching somebody do an interview or right. uh, maybe even deliver a chapel sermon on our campus or whatever it may be. It's easy to criticize the words or actions of others. But when you're forced to speak or lead, mm-hmm. Um, it kind of changes your perspective. So we try and create as many of those opportunities throughout the year as possible. So you're encouraging communication. That was going to be my next question about about communication. How do you teach players to communicate besides the, the speaking? How do you get them to communicate in a way where there's 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 vulnerability, there's empathy, there's different things so that you can go ahead and get your team to be closer as time goes on? I think when we're, when we're in a – with the whole group, one of the things that we try and – role model but also talk about is that we either want to be putting each other up positive reinforcement encouraging affirmation or calling somebody out Mm. nothing in between 
uh, no frustrating bo- uh, frustrated body language, nothing under our breath. Doesn't mean our execution of this is perfect, but that's what we're striving towards: is to either be positive with our teammate, tell them what a good job they're doing, reinforce that, or say, "Hey, you need to do this better. You got to get this done," and be very firm with it. And then ultimately, it's on the receiver of the communication to appreciate mm-hmm. uh, the communication, and and we start to grow as a team. You know, I think that's that's been big for us. And then also. In terms of collaboration, when we meet as groups, breaking the groups down a little bit smaller, and that was something we, we had a, a really good sports psych coach, uh, Dr. Craig Manning, coming to meet with us this fall, and I thought it was really good to hear his data back up some of the things we've experienced, which is uh, with with younger people right now, the millennials, um, seven or less, mm-hmm. if you want true collaboration, if we're watching film with a large group, 15 to 20, uh, you probably won't have as much engagement. So there'll be things that we do throughout the year where we're meeting in smaller groups. And the other thing is that all of the coaches on our staff are leaders. Mm. I mean, by by definition, by role, by by who they are, by how they carry themselves. We we want if we're when we're hiring, we want leaders first. I think those are those are things that that we as coaches forget that as well too. I think on coaching staffs, we, we kind of want our coaches just to stay in their role. Like, this is what you do. You know, I'm I'm the leader and everything else. But encouraging that, you're setting examples for everybody else um, to see it. You're talking about small groups. So you're saying that you put them in small groups so there is more collaboration, which millennials love. They love collaboration. Yep. Um, so you put them in small groups. Now you give them different activities in that time or, or you just do it certain times of the year how, how does that work yeah we may have shooting groups three or four we may have film groups mm-hmm. where it's our you know our quarterback club with our point guards our 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 wings our fours and fives could be together and they're with the coach and and we've found that in doing so there's a lot more collaboration and engagement um, and we want that we don't want i think it's very difficult to watch film um, the entire year it's such a long season as you know um, to have only the head coach or even the assistant coaches speaking when watching film and one of one of Craig Manning's lines Dr. Craig Manning's lines was that most players actually watch film in a depressed state because mm. there's a tremendous amount of preservation of ego and I reflected on my journey as a player and I, I think that was very true for myself I was bracing myself for criticism rather than <laughs> That's amazing. And Actually cool. watching film with the original intent of we're watching it to get better. Right. Right. It's, they already put the wall up. Yeah. That's interesting. Because I, I, I know that now that I think about it, absolutely. Actually, I think my son does that when he watches his own video. Right. He's like, right. Dad, I know what I did wrong. I'm like, yep. no, man. Let me tell you. And then I realize I can't tell him. I don't know anything about swimming. The <laughs> what is uh, What kind of pushback do you get when someone first comes into your program? And how do you deal with that pushback? Uh, the pushback would would uh, is usually in the form of may, maybe um, a student athlete says, "Coach, I'm introverted. That's who I am. You know, I'm not a communicator. I, I lead by example, um, and and we just try and say that's great. We just want to make you a better communicator, mm. and we don't have to get better at that in one day, one week, one month. We're just going to chip away at it, and maybe it's in in the weight room." Uh, we're giving high fives. Um, we're putting each other up. And, and what we've found is over the course of time, 
with all of the things that we're doing, with our volunteer work with the Special Olympics, with camp in the summer, with how we communicate as a program, with the film groups, that guys do grow as, as communicators. And, and they will get better there. So even if a guy may be introverted or quiet or shy or whatever it may be, um, we have a lot of confidence as leaders that, that we can help them grow there. Hmm. Is there a, is there something that, uh, that you have tried with the team, whether here or anywhere else, and, and you really thought it was really, really going to work, and it just didn't? And how did you come back from that? I mean, it sounds really dramatic, but you, but you, you know what I mean. Yeah, we, we had, um, it was our second year here, and we come up with a mantra each year, and the mantra is supposed to give us confidence in the mm. journey and help shape our focus and what we want to be about that year. And we had had a really good first year, and it was kind of a surprise. We were picked to finish sixth in the conference, um, the guys got off to a, like we, we were, got off to a very fast start. I think we won our first 16 games and we were surprising people. Um, no one was expecting much from that group and they just hit the ground running. Our second year, uh, we were picked first <laughs> and the mantra, the first push, the first year was, uh, the first mantra was the push and right. it was kind of taken from. Uh, the book Good to Great by Jim Collins, yep. and it was the notion that everything was worth one push, a great lift, a great study hall, uh, a meeting, individual meeting with coach player. Everything was going to be one push. We really didn't have tangible goals. We were just going to see if we could get better along the way uh, because we had no idea how good we could be. Right. Well, the second year, the mantra was the chip, and the chip was supposed to be uh, – essentially that even though we were picked first that the guys on the team all were from different backgrounds and at one point or another they were guys that many had doubts about mm -hmm. and we were gonna kind of each of us use our individual chips and play with this one massive chip on our shoulder and ah. we were all gonna pour into the team and it was gonna be one chip <laughs> and it didn't work out that way. <laughs> we had, for the first time in our staff, in our coaching career, we, we were dealing with, um, I'd say, a significant amount of uh, disease of me, mm. where guys maybe had had good years the year before, and now they wanted a great year. Right. And they were talking chip, but their actions weren't that. And we were really having a tough time with that. And it took probably until mid-February <laughs> to where we really got that team to fight for each other. Right. And because that can be tough. I think sometimes you might look at a team, and that was our most talented team. Sometimes we look at other people's teams or maybe even a team in the NBA and we just assume, well, they got, they got a lot of talent. This should work. And I think that's the beauty of our game is if everyone's not pulling together, mm -hmm. it doesn't work very well. And and we were, as a staff, we were coming back. We were used to coming back to the office and, and really feeling good about our culture and, and the practices that we were having. Mm -hmm. And we kept coming back to the office, and it was hard to 
it was hard to feel great about what we were doing because we knew what it should look like and we couldn't get it there. Right. And ultimately, we had to keep talking right and I think have, and again, I, this is from good to great from Jim Collins, but resolute belief mm-hmm. that if we stayed after it, eventually we were going to get these guys to pull for each other. And it may, it may take some L's. It may take some adversity before they start doing that. And right. that's, that's really what happened was uh, we, we went to Hawaii. We lost two in a row. And then they started saying, well, we don't, we don't like how this feels. We know we have talent. We know if we don't start pulling in the same direction, this isn't going to finish well. And that team uh, went on to compete very well and made the Sweet 16. And, and um, we learned a lot about leadership that year. So when you're going through that, you're, you're going through the ups and downs, you know, I think any coach, you know, you feed off the energy from your staff, from anybody else. But when you're sitting alone and you're contemplating and in that moment, what is going through your head and, and how do you continue to, to fill your own bucket uh, when when you're the head coach or the head coach program, the CEO, you're the, you're, you're the head of the family, everything. So everything comes on you. What are things that you have had to do for yourself personally so that you can go ahead and keep the ship running in the right way? I think you've got to have great self-talk. And I, I also think you you really got to be able to talk to your staff. Mm. And we've been doing this together for a while. And that's why I go back to these these guys aren't just executing their roles. We got great leaders mm. on, on on our staff, and 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 we see each other in that way. So they may see something with our team building uh, or our culture that just that needs a lot of work. And we talk through it, and we get our belief right, so that when we walk into practice every day. Uh, it's a reset and we're trying to build momentum. We're not carrying yesterday's frustration into the next practice. Uh, and I think that takes a lot of reps together. Uh, but I think it starts with positive self-talk that ultimately, uh, right now it may not be the way we want it to be, but we're going to get it there. Right. We're going to get these guys, uh, to pull for each other. And then we start talking as a staff and you can start getting some momentum. Right. Can you talk a little bit about how, you know, you're, you're, you're running a program. You're trying to build a culture. You're trying to get them going. You're, you're in division one this year, but you also have a family. Yep. Great wife and kids. How is there balance? Is there integration? How do you continue to do this at a very good level? Um, having to basically, feed a lot of people yeah it's it's a really good question and actually as you ask it i reflect on our citrus journey because when when i was coaching at citrus at young kids my daughter caden and son j-rob were, were both very young mm. and my wife was a high school athletic director and we always joked because we played wednesdays and saturdays and she was coaching high school basketball and she was coaching Tuesdays and Fridays, <laughs> and our kids grew up on hot dogs and Skittles in the, in the bleachers. Oh, that's a great diet. That, that was the diet. And ultimately, we made the decision to leave Citrus uh, and go to St. Mary's with the idea, uh, and I was commuting to Citrus when I was coaching at Citrus, mm. about 45 miles, and I knew that I wanted to coach at a university one day and live in that community. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I had never heard this quote at the time, but this was what was going through my mind. And when Chris, I heard Chris Mack at Louisville say this, that uh, you can't truly balance it. You have to blend it. Mm. And when he said that it resonated with me and I reflected on kind of 
why we made the decision to leave Citrus and go to St. Mary's to ultimately put ourselves in a position to coach at this level, to pay our assistant coaches well, to be in a univer- be at a university that supports us very well in so many different ways, and that I, we could live in the city in which we were coaching in. And my kids are so proud uh, to be Lancers, to be part of California Baptist University. They're in our practice facility all the time, <laughs> in our arena. Um, and and I think being when, when you're able to blend it like that, it enlarges their belief. You know, they're around all of these nice things, the facilities, they're around these great role models, the, the student athletes that we have. And, and it all kind of starts to, you know, one thing feeds off the next. Right. And, and you gain a lot of momentum as a family. So uh, that's really what, what we've tried to do. I think it all, it, it's all in. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife, uh, her dad coached football, college football. One of my mentors, Tom Shine, for 40 years. And uh, so she was from a coaching family. So she saw kind of that blend. Right. You know, she grew up uh, on the football field on Saturdays and in the film room on Sundays. And, and I think ultimately you, you got to enjoy it. You got to love it. And it right. ends up being a ton of fun. But I definitely think the balance piece, looking back, that's hard to achieve, mm-hmm. especially if you don't live – uh, in that in that community and you're and you're trying to you're trying to execute a commute in there as well so that's really when I look back what we were trying to do and and, and I'm happy to say today uh, that we're we enjoy the blend mm-hmm. is there is there one piece of advice that you can give anybody well any of the coaches how to make the blend successful well I only ask that because I speaking with a lot of coaches around the country um, that's what they want to do. Uh, but, but for some reason, it's the coach themselves either has a hard time doing it. Sometimes it could be the partner having a hard time. Is there something, a secret or something at all, where, where it throws it over the top so the blend is actually going in a direction that it's great for both parties? Yeah, I think, um, and you learn this as you go, but you got to have a few non-negotiables. Mm. And... And I think you've also got to come to grips with the fact that the reason you're coaching is because you think you can be better and you think you can make everyone around you better and you're on the hunt. You're always hunting excellence. You're trying to be more competitive. Mm. You're searching for, for ways that your program can get better. But I think you've got to come to grips with you can't be great at everything. Right. And we've tried to, in our career, really focus on the thing that we think we can create separation at team building, culture. We think we do those things well. Not that we don't try every offseason to get better with our offensive execution or our defensive principles or whatever it may be, uh, but we've we've become very comfortable with what the area that we're trying to create separation in. And and I think when you do that, it's easier to, uh, to put your non-negotiables on paper. Mm. Uh, like for me, I, I don't watch film at home. Uh, the only film that I watch is in the office. Now that may mean a few late nights, but at least when I go home, uh, I'm not distracted. Right. And I, I never watch basketball film at, at home. So that's a non-negotiable. Or, or maybe it's Sundays, our, our family days, and that's a non-negotiable. It's not a, a family day if it works with <laughs> right. how your team's playing right. at that particular time. So. I think to have a few non-negotiables that you absolutely adhere to, you hold each other accountable to those as a staff, I think those are big. 
Do you ever have um, maybe an issue or something runs through your mind? You know, when there's a lot of pressure running a program and you have, you know, you're, you're the head coach here. But when you go home, you can't necessarily be the head coach. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because there's other people involved and it's a different level of partnership and relationship. Right. Um, yeah, how, how does that work for you? I know I've had to past struggle. I've struggled with that mightily in my yeah. past. So I I think and I think it's continue to learn about yourself as a leader. Mm. But I, I I actually have on a note card now like the things that help me manage stress. And mm. it, they sound simple, but the execution of them are so, are, is so important. And sleep. <laughs> gotta sleep. Right. Gotta eat. Gotta work out. Mm. And for me, if I work out Daily, my stress is better. I communicate with our staff better. I'm a better communicator at home. I'm a better teammate at home. And the blend is better. Mm. It just is. Um, but, you know, this journey, um, like any profession, you can get knocked off balance. And if if one of those isn't executed, all of a sudden your stress level is higher and, and you're just not the leader that you want to be. Mm. Um, so... Um, I know for me, I used to kind of let my fitness go during the season right? and then try and come roaring back every spring. Right. Um, that doesn't work for me as I've, as I've gotten older. Yeah. Um, I don't think I can come roaring back anymore, and it just it doesn't help me during the season. Right. So I've got to be better with my time, uh, prioritize things, and execute on those things. Even the same thing for me staying up late. If I stay up late, I don't recover as well. You know, I and, and you hear so much about guys watching film, especially like I like to look at football programs. I'm a football fan. I married into a football family. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of late nights watching film. For me, if if I dig into the night too late, I'm not even if I get eight hours sleep, nine hours sleep, I'm not the same the next day. Hmm. I, I ran my motor uh too hard, too long, and I don't recover. So I think you continue to learn about yourself as a leader in, the, in those ways. And, and they seem subtle, but at the end of the day, a lot of our leadership comes back to when, when you talk about competing at this level or any level, what are you like and what are you about when the pressure's on? Mm. Yeah, those are questions. And a lot of self-reflection is what you're doing. Yes, absolutely. So you work out now during the season. Yep. Is, oh. they're, they're not incredible workouts, but they're workouts. <laughs> well, I let my, my workouts go 365 days. They no longer exist every day of the year. I've got to get back <laughs> on it. My pants are a little tight. Last two questions, Coach. All right, when they make, because it's going to happen, the Rick Roy full feature film, who is playing Coach Croy? That's a, that's a great question. It has to be – man, we – we got to get the whoever the actor is. He's got to have his, you know, his teeth have got to be a little <laughs> off. Um, there's got to be some serious lines around the eyes. Um, I'm not sure who that is. I mean, most of these guys are, uh, they're they're too polished. But maybe the Bradley Cooper. Maybe we'll give you Bradley Cooper because they're always like in movies. They're always so much better looking than we are in real life. They're always like I'm made in. for TV. I'm a movie. Bradley Cooper fan. I'm in. <laughs> I'm all in. They're like, <laughs> Bradley Cooper, if you're listening, we're going to make this movie. We have to find financing first. Um, last one, you know, you, you talked about process, talk about leadership, talk about culture, talk about family. Um, 
we just really believe that you've got to be in love with one thing that, or a few things that could really, that helps fill your motor, fills up uh, uh, your can, everything. Like, what is the one thing that you're really, really in love with? Uh, I love team. Hmm. I love being on a team. I love the different seasons. I like uh, the fall, trying to put it together. I love competing. I love the release of the spring and kind of the the reset and the and the visioning. And then the summer, trying to get an edge, trying to separate, figuring out what you can do better. Um, I love all the seasons that come with team. Um, I love being on a team. I love sometimes leading, sometimes taking a step back. Uh, I love the improvement. And I even like the ups and downs, sometimes the misery of it. Um, <laughs> right. You know, I've, I've just found for me, uh, that's really what I what I enjoy. I, I enjoy being on a team. And right now, uh, I enjoy being on, on CBU's team. Mm -hmm. I, I love, this is kind of what I always dreamed of, being at a, at a university with great support. Um, we've got an incredible president, great athletic director. Um, so there's just a lot of great things happening here, and I'm trying to enjoy every moment. That's awesome. Now, if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of Coach Croy? Best way is uh, through email. It's rcroy, R-C-R-O-Y, at calbaptist.edu. Uh, we've got open practices. If anyone's here in Southern California and would like to come through, um, I'm a, I'm, I love having people do our practice and, and kind of seeing what our culture is about. And uh, we're really excited to make this move into the WAC. So, uh, would love to have any listeners out to practice if they're in the area. That's awesome. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate you, Coach. Love what you do. All right, thanks. Hope all of you enjoyed episode 21 with Coach Rick Croy of Cal Baptist University. I tell you what, he covered a lot of great things out there about leadership, about family, about growing yourself, about culture about really what it takes to be a better person and to be a great example to the people around you. And I think those are things as coaches we want to do and we are striving to do. And the more information we get, the more things we could soak in, the better we are going to be for ourselves, our partner, our team, our organization, and everything else. I want to thank you guys for joining us today on the BCLE. Please, please, if you don't mind, I'd love for you to rate our podcast. Go to iTunes. Go to SoundCloud. Go to everywhere and anywhere. Find us on the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. Give us a 5, a 10, a 30. I don't even know how they scored. Either way, I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. Without you, the movement would not be happening. I want you guys to have a great day. Be an impact to others. And remember, you have the power to be contagious to the people around you. Love you guys. I'll talk to you soon.